everyone. Welcome to the Aqualand Podcast. I'm Mike Gugino. As always, I am with... Uh, this is Swafford. And this is Eric. And, and yeah, Swafford and Eric. And <laughs> this week we have a pretty awesome episode. Um, we are talking about food and music and how, for some reason, chefs and people who cook are always obsessed with music. Uh, I don't know. Why do you think that is, Swafford? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, funny enough, history of Aqualam is, I think, how it came about. Um, we never actually did it. I think we talked about this in the past. Is Eric and I wanted to do a cookbook <laughs> with uh, famous, uh, I don't know, what do you call a famous chef? Like a, like a rock star. star. Rockstar like, chefs, <laughs> rockstar chefs, who, who would go on tour with our bands and travel across the country on tour and make a book out of it. Um, we never actually did that. Maybe it's in the works. I don't know. We should do that because I just talked to a famous chef uh, for this episode. I talked to Claire Saffitz, who is uh, my work buddy. We work on Dessert Person together, and we did work on Gourmet Makes when uh, she was at Bon Appetit. Uh, But we got to sit down and talk for a while about food and music. And of course, she has a lot of opinions about music, just like she does about food. I don't know. uh, We're doing a couple episodes like this. Uh, We have one coming up where we're talking to your brother. I don't know. What do you think it is, Eric? Is it like a sense thing? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, not not to really give too much away on my brother's episode, but he had some interesting takes on it because he's a musician and a chef. And I think, you know, there's something about the kitchen life that really uh, attracts people who are trying to find that, you know, they may not fit into the stereotypical nine to five world they're always kind of maybe on the outside of things and they tend to find kind of like-minded people in the in the service industry who fall outside the the norm so i think there's something there too i think you're right in a way though it working in restaurants is an extreme way to make a living kind of in the same way that like playing in a band or a punk band is an extreme way to make a living you sure. uh, you are up all hours of the night. You are dealing with crazy people. Uh, there's incredible highs. There's incredible lows. Um, you know, there's probably fighting and swearing. <laughs> but it's like there's also music involved. Like every, I, I used to work uh, at a re- at restaurants when I was in college and stuff, and there was always music playing in the kitchen. And, I always, and wh- whoever could play their music was the music that you heard. So I discovered, um, like I worked at Applebee's uh, in Overbrook, which is <laughs> West Philadelphia, which nice. is the same neighborhood that uh, Will Smith is from. Uh, and it was sort of it's sort of a rough neighborhood. And this Applebee's was a little rough to work at. But um, it was like I had so many crazy stories from it. But I heard so much good music from the dudes in the kitchen. Yeah, uh, and we and we'd also like I don't know smoke weed and play CeeLo in the back. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> like well, uh, you know who, who we should get on the podcast is I, I told you how from uh, Fresh Prince, the older sister lives across the street from me. Oh that no way! Amazing. We yeah. should totally do that. Uh, I I could probably make that happen. See if she's ever been to the Applebee's. <laughs> uh, I could ask. She probably never. Where did they film that in L.A.? She probably never even went to Philadelphia. <laughs> no, she doesn't keep it. Re- well, they, their family. To be fair, in the show, their family was from El- Bel Air, I guess. Oh, Bel Air. Okay, but yeah. he was from yeah. Philly. Okay, sorry. Yeah, he was raised, born and raised West Philadelphia. Speaking you know of Will, he, and this <laughs> this goes back again. I think everybody's connected in some way. Uh, uh-huh. Nathaniel. I didn't know Jada Pinkett Smith was in a hardcore band or like they're a, like a metal band. Oh yeah, metal and they're yeah. amazing. Yeah, I didn't know that until that Nathaniel was posting those photos. Yeah, yeah, uh, came up. Feels like it comes up every couple of years. Like a metal site or somebody will post something, and 
I found some footage. They played like one of the late night talk shows and just like destroyed it. Like it's kind of no joke and gives me a different impression of her for sure. And I'm really curious about, I mean, obviously it's a really musical household and not so monolithic in genre or whatever, but uh, yeah, to see someone like her, I think is pretty fascinating um, to, to front that kind of music. And those dudes are all really, really good at what they do. Yeah. That's like so something cool. I feel like I have to look up. I don't think I've ever heard them, but I did know she played in a metal band, which is yeah. pretty cool. Well, I mean, I, maybe it's like, you know what it is? I think you guys are maybe hitting on something here uh, to, to kind of like circle back around that like art isn't necessarily contained within a medium. So like if you're an artist, maybe you you're a chef. Maybe you're an actress. Maybe you're in a metal band. Like, it, if you're an artist, maybe you don't know how that it's exactly going to manifest itself in the world. So maybe that's our tie-in here. With I the, agree. I agree. Um, so let's listen to the interview. Um, I sat down. Well, I should say I sat down with Claire a couple months ago. Uh, it was still during the pandemic. I think it was September. So I was on the road. I was in Gallup, New Mexico, shooting Ghost Adventures, and we we sat down and had a, a conversation via Zoom. And she uh, has a new book out, right? So she has a cookbook out called Dessert Person, um, which has like tons of amazing recipes. And I've been shooting her show, Dessert Person, which is on YouTube right now. Um, so you can check all that out. Um, but listen to the interview first and if you don't, haven't heard of her she's like a really cool chef uh an amazing baker and just has like a large breadth of knowledge about baking um so here listen to the interview hello everybody this is mike i am here with claire Saffitz. say hello claire hi guys um for those of you who may not know what or who Claire Saffitz is, uh, may, why don't you describe yourself, Claire? Tell us what you do. Where will we know you from? Where will we have seen you before? Because this is a, a, a for a heavy metal label. And this episode, uh, we are talking to chefs and foodies and things like that. And we're talking about food and music. So, so go ahead. Describe yourself. Sure. Um, most likely. If you've seen me before, it's been on YouTube because I've had a series on the Bon Appetit YouTube channel called Gourmet Makes, um, and I've done other videos for them too. Uh, and it is a show, and that's how I know Mike, everyone, because yes. Mike does one on Gourmet Makes. Which I is record her glorious voice. <laughs> I'm in Mike's ear many hours a day, many days a month. Um, before you, we didn't have anyone doing sound and they just like couldn't hear whole parts of the show that we used to record. So thank <laughs> God for you. Um, but Gourmet Makes is a show where I reverse engineer candy and classic snack foods um, in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. I try to make them like fancy and improve upon them. Uh, and it usually takes three to four days. Uh, and I, there's a lo lots of... Um, Sometimes six to seven days. <laughs> Rarely six to seven. That's a real bad episode for me. Unless you're a jelly bean. <laughs> I had to talk about the jelly bean episode earlier today and I just, I kind of relived it and it was like, God, that was horrible. Um, yeah. I, I don't like jelly beans as a subject for gourmet makes or as a food. Um, but generally it's a very fun show and a lot of problem solving and creativity. Uh, and, and I get to like hang out with Mike and the whole crew, which is really fun. Uh, and of course all the test kitchen colleagues uh, and I also do recipe development. I wrote a cookbook for the last couple of years and it's coming out soon. So yeah, I, uh, yes, me I, and my wife made some things from your cookbook and it was very delicious. Yeah. And you guys recipe tested, which was, you know, a huge favor. So you did the clam pie, clam pizza and, and the pineapple upside cake, down right? cake. Right. Pineapple upside down cake. Um, yes. Thank you. So yeah. Which I gotta say, I'm not a huge fan of clam pies and, uh, you may have like, turn the turn the corner for me there yeah. that's very flattering is this like a philly thing what the is clam what? pie or like no, not like liking like clam pie yeah 
I don't know. Well, um, I, I, I don't know if it's a Philly thing because Philly does have some weird food like Scrapple and pork roll and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they would be into things with clams on them, but there's no <laughs> cheese whiz on it. So I guess you lost, you lost <laughs> them there. <laughs> right. If you had a clam pie with cheese whiz on it, would that be better? Uh, I don't know. That actually sounds really disgusting. <laughs> it sounds terrible. I agree with that. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I even said that. Let's just break, edit that out. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, so this, we're talking to lots of chefs, chefs who have been in bands, just chefs who like music, things like that. And it's really weird. Something I've noticed with almost every food person is they have uh, strong opinions about music. And they have like very clear tastes and like music is, is a big part of, uh, of their lives. So like, I don't know, do you have a take on that? Like, I know you're really into music. We talk about music a lot on set. Mm-hmm. Um, is there just something about being into food that also, is it like a sense thing? Like, what is it? I mean, that's interesting. I think, I imagine that for, cause I, I think that food is like is a creative pursuit i think that like there is so much overlap between the way chefs think about their craft and the way that fine artists think about their art or musicians think about their music like i I think that there's a lot of overlap in what that approach is like um and so it makes sense to me that people creative in one discipline would have that same creativity in another discipline. I personally am not musical in the least. Like I, I wish I was so badly and my brain does not work that way. Um, I can't sing at all, even though I love to sing. I am tone deaf. I mean, I love to sing like in the shower, Um, but I do appreciate music. And I wonder also if it has to do with chefs coming out of restaurant kitchens, because in my brief experience working in a restaurant, listening to music while in the prep kitchen was like the only part I liked about that job. Like I hated that job so much. It was, I was miserable and stressed out and exhausted all the time, but we listened to really good music and I got into, you know, I was introduced to a lot of bands and a lot of other um, musicians that way. So what's um, some of the music that you remember from that kitchen? We listened to, um, well, it's funny. There was like the music we listened to as cooks in the prep kitchen. And there was the music they put on in the restaurant during service for like the guests. Um, and I remember they, this was back in the day when I, when people had iPods. So I like had an iPod and they put, I remember they would use my iPod a lot for the dining room when it was time mm-hmm. for service because I had like a lot of Paul Simon and I was working, for, I was, it was in Paris and I was working for an American chef who loved Paul Simon. And so they would like put on my, uh, my iPod. And then while we were in the kitchen, we would listen to everything from like Fleetwood Mac to Mickey Avalon to Metric to like, these are the, to um, the Shins, like all, all, I don't know. It was just sort of like whoever put on their music that day kind of got to pick. And that was um, in Paris? It was a restaurant it was in Paris. In Paris. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. You went to school. You went to, was that after school there? Uh, you went to, I should tell everyone you went to school in Paris. Right? Yeah. So I did, yeah. I did a, yes, I did culinary school in Paris and part of the program I was in required an externship. Like to get the degree, you had to do an externship in a restaurant for several months. Um, and I'm so glad I did it. But it was just, I learned very quickly that like restaurant life is not for me. I was, I'm just so, I'm too prone to stress um, and anxiety and mm-hmm. it was an exhausting schedule. And so it was, I learned so much. I'm really glad I did it. I did not want to pursue restaurant cooking any further after that. Um, I think the things have become more humane, especially in New York. People can live, uh, uh, have a slightly more balanced life and, ho- you know, hopefully make a living. Um, but like, what, what did you do? Were you a line cook or, or were you a, what? I mean, I was supposed to be an extern and I, I was an extern. Um, so, you know, for the first week I like washed herbs and did stuff like that. And then the pastry chef either like quit or was fired. It wasn't clear which, and then they had me doing pastry. Um, but I was the only person in the whole, I mean, it was a very small restaurant with only like five people in the, in the kitchen. 
um, including a chef. And I was the only one doing pastry in the whole restaurant for all the diners. So it was just sort of like, if I screw it up, is there not going to be dessert that night? You know, it was just sort of like a lot more responsibility than I wanted. Um, And I learned, again, I learned so much that really was such a foundation for my whole career as a baker. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there, is there like a a perfect music for making pastry too? Like something that like helps you get that pillowy, buttery texture Mm -hmm. or song or something? I find Fleetwood Mac, as I mentioned, or, and, Mm -hmm. or Stevie Nicks to be, we talk about Stevie Nicks a lot, Mike and I. Um, Yes. Yes, we do. That is my white witch. (laughs) Yes. That is my ideal baking music. It's just like, it just puts me in this like Stevie Nicks, gypsy goddess kind of uh, state of being that I find. It's just like, I kind of go into a different kind of register when I listen to it. And it's great. It's like, I think like Stevie Nicks has this sort of like uh, aura about her where she's Mm -hmm. like, you know what, I'm, I'm emotional and I have a lot of demons and I've overcome a lot of trauma, but like, I got this, like mm-hmm. I can handle this. I, I right. like know who I am and I'm going to handle this. I picture her in her black boots, top hat, <laughs> gold shawl, and like tambourine with the screamers on it, you know, mm-hmm. like doing circles. So, um, you know, twirling on the stage. So it's just like, I want to be, I want to feel like that when I'm in the kitchen. Um, so that that's that's like my go-to a lot in the kitchen. Um, so I, I wanted to ask about like your like being young, being like a kid. Like, what number one? What drew you to food? Like, what are your earliest memories of being like? Food is more than just like something like a meal, you know, something mm. that I'm gonna to eat. And then I'll ask, I'll ask the same question about like music. Like when, when did you first be like, whoa, like this is cool. Like Hmm. I should, I should like this. I think my answer is sort of similar um, Mm -hmm. for music and cooking and food. So I grew up in a family where both were really important, cooking and eating and music. And there was just in some ways music and cooking when I was a kid were like wallpaper. It was like always there. And I didn't necessarily even notice it or become conscious of it. It was like, this is just the way things are. Both my parents cook a lot. And particularly my dad um, was and is really into music um, in a sort of expansive way. So cooking- uh, what, what kind of stuff does your dad listen uh, What would he listen to? I mean, he- now listens to a lot more jazz and classical, but when we were kids, he's, re- I mean, so my dad's a baby boomer. So we listened to like what now, you know, we, I would say is classic rock, but a lot of when, I, when we were kids, we'd say like, dad, put on something with words. Cause like we would get, we, we didn't really have the attention span for classical music or jazz. Right. Um, so he would put on like Rolling Stones or the Graceline album, which is the soundtrack of my whole childhood. Or um, or he put on blues. We'd listen to like Sam Cooke. You know, when we were kids, it was like Motown because that was easy for us to listen to. Um, what else would we listen to? A lot of like Neil Young, Tom Petty, a lot of Bob Dylan a lot of Bob Dylan. Um, Taj Mahal is like another favorite. Oh, I love Taj Mahal. Yeah, I love Taj Mahal. Um, he, Taj Mahal, I, I have very early memories of Taj Mahal because we, my parents showed me the Blues Brothers at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, one of the first songs in that is that you know, she took the Kade, left me <laughs> on a mule to ride. Right. Uh, and we, we listened to my mom has always like a lot of bluegrass too. My dad used to play the banjo um, and was actually pretty good on the banjo. Uh, oh, and cool. so we would listen to like the, the Cox family and mm-hmm. um, Willie Nelson. And we would listen to, Oh, my mom, my mom like loved Linda Ronstadt. We listened like a lot of Linda Ronstadt and any Luther. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just like a wide variety of genres. And, uh, 
and I loved it. And, and I think that that really formed my musical tastes because to this day, I really am attracted to music that's like lyrically driven and, and melody driven. Uh, so I just like, I just love music with beautiful melody and, and lyrics. Um, and that was like a lot of what we listened to when I was a kid. And then, you know, we play like a lot of Miles Davis, um, a lot of John Coltrane, a lot of jazz. And I remember when we were kids, we, he would always put on the opera on the radio on Sunday mornings. And whenever we, he was listening or he was listening to a symphony, he'd be like, Claire, Claire, who's this? And I would just be like, Mozart. And he was like, no, like, what are you talking? Like, he was like, it was, you know, and that the classical music thing never stuck, even though I was exposed to it so much. But he'd always be like, you know, I remember my dad, like, shushing. I have two older sisters. He would shush us and be like, listen, listen, listen. And, you know, there was a, a particular part of the symphony or a movement, you know, coming on. And, and he would kind of hush us and, and we would kind of barely tolerate it basically. <laughs> so the, the classical music never rubbed off. I, to this day, can't tell you if it's Bach or Beethoven or Mozart or, or whatever. Um, but the other music stuck. So would, were your parents, did they also cook a lot? Was there like, because I, I, I mean, I, I know growing up in around Philadelphia and being Italian, there's like a really strong food culture that mm-hmm. you cannot shake. And you just get these sort of like food opinions drilled into you. Like, where to get the best loaf of Italian bread or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, was there a similar kind of thing in St. Louis? Did your family sort of like, well, cause you, you're, you grew up Jewish, right? Is yeah. so there's like a, a strong sort of like, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like this cultural yeah. food, food thing culture. that's just drilled into you yeah. as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I'd say based on what I know about my parents' childhoods who both grew up, Jewish. My dad is from the Washington DC area. My mom is from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and like both sides of my family are Ashkenazi Jewish. So of course there's a strong food culture, you know, growing up Jewish in, you know, with Eastern European, like my, my great grandparents immigrated from what's now Ukraine and Russia. Um, and they brought with them like a, a strong, you know, rich food tradition. And I, I learned not that long ago that my great grandfather on my mom's side was a baker in like Ukraine or wherever they came from. We oh, don't, wow. we don't have the full story on where they're from. We've like tried to like look into it and can only get so far. Um, so I have a lot of inherited family recipes. Like my mom's, my mom's aunt Tilly. My, so my, my great aunt Tilly's apple cake, my great aunt Rose's mandel bread, um, matzo ball soup, you know, like the brisket, just, we, we, we've always had strong food traditions around um, that kind of cuisine. And but I mean, I don't think either of my parents grew up with parents who cooked as much as they cook. It just became, it's just a thing that my parents share is like, they're both, they just love food and they love cooking and eating and making it a thing that we did as a family. And so it just became, it was just a thing we always did. It was like cooking, talking about meals, planning meals, eating together at meals. Like that was just, that's central to our dynamic as a family to how we relate to each other. Some of my earliest food memories are like smelling garlic frying in olive oil because my dad was making linguine and clams. Um, so like, and both of my parents cook and still cook now and, and still, and now, you know, they're now they're empty nesters and they have been for a while. I still call them sometimes and they're like cooking together, you know, they're, they're doing a cooking project. So, um, and also when I was a kid is when food TV really started to become a thing like Food Network really became popular and so I have so many memories of sitting with my dad and watching some you know Emerald on Food Network or watching food programming on PBS and like getting you know getting ideas for dinners and um, our thing is, as a family is like discussing the next meal at the current meal it's like being sitting at dinner being like what are you gonna have for dinner tomorrow and like planning something you know planning that and having fun around it so I really learned from my parents at a young age that like food is pleasure and it's sociability also um and so my mom is a great cook and a really good baker and my parents were always just it seemed very natural to them or it came very naturally to them but they were just good cooks who valued well-made food and good ingredients. So as a kid growing up in St. Louis, I remember taking trips with my mom to a part of the city called the Hill, which is like the the historically Italian neighborhood. 
um, and going to like some little, fried raviolis or something. <laughs> no, no toast and ravioli on the hill. Although we would get these sandwiches from this place called Amigetti's, which is still there, like the most delicious, what you would call an Italian, what is it in Philly you guys call hoagie? it? Hoagie. Yeah, but, yeah, Italian hoagie? Gone. What do you mean? But we are here. You guys call, what are these? I don't know. Philly has all these, like all this weird lingo. So, for, don't you call it as something else? No, in New York, it's called a, a hero. But a hero, in, in yeah. Philly, it's called a hoagie. Which okay. is, I don't know if this this is a this is a running theme on most of the podcasts I do, but I don't know if this is a true fact or not. But I will just say it. <laughs> I think that the hoagie is named after uh, Hog Island. It the, the naval yard in Philadelphia. Uh, a, people would go bring sandwiches out there mm-hmm. and uh, bring them out to Hog Island, and then the sandwiches got called hoagies because of or like because of that. I mean. I, I don't know if that's true, but I believe it. That's a very it sounds story. right, right? <laughs> um, no, there was like a third name for either subs or hoagies, and now I can't Gr- remember. Not a grinder. Well, a grinder. That's what it, was that a Jersey thing? What is that's like that? Connecticut or something? Oh, oh, you're right. That's I think Connecticut. grinders are hot. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's very all the regional. But we stuff. say hoagies. You okay. know, that's like a. So I don't in St. Louis. I don't even. I think they were just called sandwiches. <laughs> St. Louis. Plain St. Louis Midwestern talk. It's just a sandwich. <laughs> right. Um, and like, so we would go to this place called Viviano's, and my mom would get like real Parmigiano Reggiano cheese and, you know, really good olive oil. And as a kid, I was like, why don't we have the cheese that comes in the green can that you can shake? Like, that was what I wanted. And <laughs> just like would roll their eyes. That's for me. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, it was just sort of like a, a natural fact of my life that I didn't become sensitive to until I was older and even out of college and realized like, oh, not all families make cooking and eating their central activity the way that we did. So my, my grandma had a word for other families who like, <laughs> she would describe them as like dipping their wonder bread in their like can of ragu or whatever <laughs> it was she would use the word metagons which is like uh-huh. sort of like american americans or whatever but like, <laughs> it was just kind of like describing that as like those are the people who don't know how to cook like real italian food they're the right. metagons right right yeah like my mom would make dinner most nights oh by the way here's my i know people are listening and they can't see but my cat is in front of the camera Hello. being very friendly this is felix um hello felix it's a good kitty. Um, my mom every night would make a salad for dinner. We would start by eating the salad and um, she would put like good red, red wine vinegar on olive oil and grated Parmesan cheese in it and like lots of delicious crunchy vegetables. And I was just like, God, we always eat this salad. Like Lisa Perlmutter's mom buys ranch. Like why can't we have, or like Lisa Perlmutter's mom was like my friend. Um, uh-huh. She, she gets, the poo-poo platter to go from like whatever the Chinese restaurant was in town. And it was just sort of like, I did, I certainly didn't appreciate the, um, the very high quality and delicious dinners that my, I did, but not, not to the extent I probably should have, um, that my mom made. So, uh, that was that, I think that just meant that I developed a pretty sophisticated taste in food from a really young age. Like I remember I didn't, I would get kind of like, offended when as a kid someone gave me a kid's menu mm-hmm. <laughs> why can't I have it there like give me that like that that you know I want to yeah. order yeah so um like I don't I don't want to eat chicken fingers although no no shade on chicken fingers I love chicken fingers I just I just didn't want like kid food you know yeah, because it's all the same tasteless kind of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like chicken figures are fine, but you have to like dip them in something to make them. A, <laughs> like they're not, you can't, they're a vehicle for sauce. Like, yeah, like kid food is a version of Wonder Bread dipped in. In ragu. Yeah. In, in ragu, right. Um, and I didn't want that. So that was a very long response. Sorry. That was- <laughs> no, it's all great. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> it's funny because I always think about every time. When I was a kid, when I would ask to get McDonald's or Burger King or something, how now I would never, like, never want that. Like, mm-hmm. I would, I would kill for my mom's chicken cutlets instead of like chicken McNuggets. And it's yeah. just like you're a kid, you don't, you don't know, you just want what your friends have. Totally, totally. 
totally. Yeah, like I never had lunch bowls and I would like beg my mom for lunch bowls. She was like, what, what? No, absolutely not. You know, um, and now I'm like, ew, I would not, I don't want that. I always found it like snack packs or something. Like I would never eat like a snack pack of pudding now, but like when I was nine, that was incredible. That was like right. a little thing of chocolate pudding. Yeah, that was like currency in whatever grade, fifth grade or whatever. <laughs> I never had Dunkaroos. I wanted Dunkaroos so bad as a kid. I think mostly because of the television commercials. And I never, my mom never bought them because we didn't have like a lot of snack food. Um, we were never a house that had chips and, you know, maybe we would have pretzels because my mom liked pretzels, but we didn't have the kind of food where you like just can open a bag and start eating it. And I think to this day, it makes me someone who doesn't, I don't really snack. I just, I mean, I just want to eat, you know, I just like want to eat food. Um, we only ever had potato chips because my mom would, like, this was a huge, she would just sit in the kitchen, drink a cup of tea with milk in it, and then she would just eat um, potato chips with tuna fish and just dip them in the tuna fish. Ooh. And that, and it was like, uh, and even now it, eating it makes me think of my mother, like, if oh I God. do that. Potato chips and tuna fish make sense to me. The cup it's of so good. milk is really, what an interesting combo. <laughs> Well, she would half finish her cups of tea and they would be all over the house by the end of the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like signs. It's very signs. Yeah, yeah. Or just <laughs> being Irish. <laughs> or like, that. Yeah, it was like her, my grandmother would do the same thing. She would, you know, drink tea and smoke cigarettes all day in the house. My mom didn't smoke cigarettes, but she, my grandmom did. When we would go visit uh-huh. her, we'd just find cups of tea and like an ashtray everywhere uh-huh. around the house. Because wherever she was sitting, tea, cigarette. That's like what had to happen. I love that. That's like a real, like you're really, you know, the king of your domain if you're doing that. I love it. And she also like uh, the way she died, not to be morbid, but the way she died is the way I want to die. She like drank her tea, smoked her cigarette, went to sleep and didn't wake up. And it was just like, and scene. It was just like, (laughs) I was like, it's the best. Very cinematic. Oh, um, yeah. That way. Wow. And that's the way they found her, just lying there next to her bed, her, her cigarette and her, her tea. Wow. And I was just like, she, she died as she lived. Yeah, there you go. I'm just going to ask you, like, what you're listening to now, mm-hmm. what music you want to re- recommend to people, like, what's, what's, what are you listening to while you're developing recipes? What are you, like, what's, you know, making the, the pastry fluffy now? <laughs> Yeah, what's what's making the croissants flaky? Yeah. Um, can I, let me, so I have my phone right here. I'm going to open it up to remind myself what have I been listening sure. to. Sure. Oh, you know what I was listening to just yesterday? When I was like in maybe high school, I was really into the Counting Crows. Mm-hmm. And I was just listening to, I haven't listened to this in years and years and years. And I was just listening to a Counting Crows live album and realizing that I knew every word of the songs, even though it's been like a decade or more since I've listened to it, it was like, wow. wow, what a what a weird feeling to realize the things that your brain remembers that you're not even conscious of, you know? Um, that was a very pleasurable listening experience. Um, so I love, the other thing besides Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks that I listened to all the time when in the kitchen is Bruce Springsteen. I, Bruce Springsteen was strangely not um, on the list of like rock and roll that my dad would play. Like he would play Beatles and Rolling Stones and, and you know, a lot of the kind of iconic bands um, of the 60s and 70s, but somehow not Bruce Springsteen. And so I've become a huge Bruce fan, like as an adult. Um, and I just love it so much. And so I listened to, um, and you're not even from New Jersey and I'm not even from New Jersey. Um, (laughs) but that's just how incredible I think Bruce Springsteen is. So a lot of Bruce, um, I love, I love listening to Talking Heads. Like I really like obviously feel good music, um, in the kitchen Mm -hmm. because the kitchen to me is such a place of joy and like, you know, I'm going to kind of get this wrong, but like there's this 
it's like the psychological term about going into a creative state. Like you're in, there's a term for it. The zone. No. <laughs> the zone. No, it, it's like Is whatever. That right? Yeah. Whatever the, whatever the. Um, Your bliss or I, I don't know. It's something yeah, like that. Something right? like that. It's, I can't remember. It's like where you kind of lose sense of time. I don't know what the technical term is or like how experts refer to it, but I get that kind of feeling when I'm in the kitchen and I like music that like puts me in that same kind of state. Um, Tom Petty was my, was my first concert when I was like nine years old. Um, I went with my whole family, mostly because my older sister really wanted to go. And so my parents took her and then was like, you two to me and my other sister was like, get, you know, get in the car. We're all going. Um, and I've always loved Tom Petty and, uh, He's amazing. he's like one of those artists I find that bridge the gap. Like, it's funny because you because I find even Bruce Springsteen not to quite bridge that gap. But like Tom Petty is one of those artists that like I rarely find somebody who's like I hate Tom Petty. Right. Oh, interesting. Who hates Bruce Springsteen? Oh, you'd be surprised. That, no, I could see that. I guess I don't. I mean, I don't understand it. I do, but I don't. Um, with Tom Petty, I think that like so much of Tom Petty is such kind of easy listening that you don't, you know, you have to sort of, it's easy to kind of miss like the genius there. Um, but, you know, there's occasionally even now after listening to Tom Petty, you know, I could listen to a song for the hundredth time and it's, and it sort of like hits me anew, like, you know, what an incredible song it is. Um, that's great. I think it's like he bridges this gap that I think a lot of artists don't where it's like half Laurel Canyon, like folk Mm. rock and half like Southern rock. Mm. And like those two genres are just like so monolithic in American music Mm -hmm. that like, he's just like one of those rare artists that's able to do that. Like just to Mm. bring those things together. And, and it's like a, you know, how can you hate those songs? It's like a bird song with like a cool riff, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Got like it's a like, little, uh, to like, you give the birds a little like Southern swampy, like <laughs> groove. And right. there's the part that's like Tom Petty as like an iconic, I just think of LA when I think of Tom Petty, but then there's like, he's, but then there's the Florida, you know, mm-hmm. where is he from like, he's from Florida, but like somewhere. Another fact, I don't know for sure. But no, <laughs> no, that's gonna, right. That's right. He's from it's Florida like, though, right? It's like, I want to say like Panhandle, Florida, like Northern, not like he's not from Miami, you know, like Um, Tallahassee or Jacksonville or Jacksonville. Yeah. One of those places. Yeah. Um, I was so sad when he died. We went to see um, a concert in uh, Forest Hills, like, you know, just a couple of months before he died and he was great. You know, it was, uh, I I guess I should ask for the, um, just for, the fa- since the fact that uh, most of the music that Aqualam Records puts out is very heavy, like what's the heaviest music that you listen to? I don't really mm. like John Wiggles' music. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Harris, my oh, but we got married. Did I tell you that we got married? No. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> we got married. So oh my god! Congratulations. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Um, Harris every so often is in the mood to play Metallica. So I listen to, like, we, we have mm-hmm. a lot of overlap in our musical tastes. Um, but the part of his musical taste where he listens to Metallica, like, is not in the overlap. Um, <laughs> but I still listen to it because uh-huh. he's playing it. So, and I, I totally see what people like in Metallica, you know? Um, it's just not something that my brain naturally likes. I'm trying to put this diplomatically. Yeah. That makes sense. No, you can just speak as you will because <laughs> like like um, heavy metal and punk and hardcore, it's a lot about aggression and catharsis. And mm-hmm. and, and from hearing you talk, you're, you do not listen to music to get that kind of like – you don't have this buildup of aggression that needs to come out in a mm-hmm. very cathartic way. Like you're, you're listening to enhance a mood that you already yeah. have of like, you're enjoying cooking and you want something that is going to enhance that enjoyment. Yes. I am never looking for any art to enhance or, ex- or like express 
feelings of like anger and aggression, which I see the value of, but it's just like my musical tastes are the same as my tastes in other artistic disciplines, which is like, I just want it to be beautiful. You know, I, I just like, want it to be something baking is Baking is not the heavy metal of food. Like what would be the heavy no. metal of food? Like barbecue or like uh, mm. whatever Brad does. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Brad does. Fermentation. Yeah. I mean, the heavy metal of food would probably be like working the grill station, like as a line cook, you know, like sort of high heat, intense, fast, um, like just high, it's high intensity. You know, baking is not. Baking is about like, you know, delayed gratification and patience and, um, and like process. Yeah. So... Like how Stevie Nicks would describe her life now. <laughs> like, yeah, like Silver, Silver Spring is like a, is a song, is to a song as baking is to food. That makes Silver, sense. Silver Spring? Silver Spring, yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's like long, there's like a crescendo, and then it kind of like wraps up beautifully, you know? You have to put that on the playlist now. Oh, for sure. I love Silver Spring. I was just talking about Silver Or like Spring. Moonlight Mile. Do you know that song by the Stones? It's like the last song on uh, Sticky Fingers. Yes. Oh, uh, just another Moonlight Mile. <laughs> That's kind of a baking song, I would think. Yes. So. It's yes. like builds, like you just got to like wait for that. And then finally you get to like get to the point in the song where that's right. like you're biting into your delicious pastry. Right, right. That's a song where like I'm singing along. I'll, I'll like come in too early, you know, cause it's like, you got, you got to, <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait for that one. Um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> right? That's a good, that's a good, perfect metaphor for like what I like about baking. So it, it rewards that, you know? Um, oh, I should, I should ask cause like, you know, there will be nerdy metal people listening. Do you know if Harris likes early Metallica or like all of Metallica? Cause there's like this, there is a discussion in metal of like a lot of like true like metal Hesher type people of like only will listen to the first four Metallica albums. Oh really? Yeah. How many Metallica albums are there? There's like way too many now, but <laughs> I think, I think maybe I'm giving myself, I'm of the camp. I like the first four, maybe really? first five. I'll go into the black album sometimes. But. Um, I do not know. I have no idea. Um, I will ask <laughs> It makes is it really sense. fast or, or uh... I don't know because I don't know like what is I don't know what fast Metallica is like versus slow Metallica I just think it's all Metallica you know what I mean yeah like it, it, it reminds me of when I when I was in college I had a summer internship at Sotheby's auction house in the print department and hold on now I have to look it up I have to see and I remember we would get all these like when they would be planning an auction, the specialists would be, you know, like putting, assembling a, a collection of, of prints to auction off. And there were some artists were like prints from the, you know, they had a 50 year career and like the prints that they made, you know, abstract artists, like the prints they made in their early part of their career looked exactly the same to me as the prints they made in their later career. But the specialists were like, oh, a classical example of his early work. And I was like, what? That looks exa- like, how can you tell? And like, they could just tell because they knew. And it's just like, I, I'm lacking the context. So I could not tell you. I will ask him and maybe I'll ask him to pick his favorite Metallica song and I'll put it on the playlist. Oh, cool. That, <laughs> that's funny because, uh, you know, Sarah, my wife also worked uh, forever in art. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would have the same thing where, you know, I would just be looking at, I'm like, that's, that's is that like my question was always is that art or can I sit there because <laughs> <laughs> right, right. you know I'd always be like going to sit down on something she'd be like no 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 that's, that's <laughs> the art <laughs> right uh yeah Harris and I joke because like the only artistic periods that he knows or like design you know des- design periods are like art deco and mid-century modern and so everything everything he sees he's like oh yes art deco I'm like, stop that's not art deco <laughs> that means something like, you can't just call something art deco <laughs> um it was a great education but there's also you know any anything more like anything so specific where people get so into it is mm-hmm. feels like a little you know well i can tell you heavy metal is like that mm. heavy metal is yeah. very specific 
Like, because I could probably play you like 10 genres of metal that are closely related and you would probably just be like, I don't know what's what. Oh, I'm sure. Like, I have no death, idea. death metal, black metal, uh, grindcore. <laughs> like uh, you would I'm all just like, be like. I'd be like, that one was louder than that one. You know, like I, I have no, it has been, it's a genre of music I have completely ignored, you know because it's just sort of not fundamentally giving me the thing that I want from listening to music. Yeah. That's a, and that's okay though, because, well, you do listen to a lot of classic rock, which I think is a lot of proto metal. Like you, you like hmm. black, black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. Right. Not definitely Led Zeppelin, not so much black Sabbath, but Led Zeppelin is, a, is a, I think is an important point because I could definitely see that being a bridge for me into those other genres for sure mm -hmm. so oh, maybe uh maybe i'll try to like find some make you a playlist of okay of like of like um stuff that's like heavy metal now that you probably would like okay like a gateway a gateway yeah. playlist there's a huge uh like metal scene like throwback metal scene where bands dress up like they're you know your dad in the 70s and play <laughs> music like that like uh especially in Sweden has like a huge scene like that. And it's like very bluesy and very mm. like grooving. And, you know, it sounds more like Led Zeppelin than it does like, you know, Megadeth or Metallica. So. Huh. All right. I'm into that. Yeah. You make uh, me a playlist. I will listen to it. Yeah. So, um, right. And make, make a playlist for everybody and I'll tell them I'll post a link to it and everyone can go listen to it. I would love to. What a fun project. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to say uh, to the people? You want to plug anything? You got anything coming up? Maybe your cookbook or something? Um, sure. I mean, I don't... Do you think that there's like any... Is the metal community into baking? I don't see yes. why they would be, right? Uh, I find that the metal oh, community... Oh <laughs> <laughs> my cat just fell off the desk sorry well felix that was so stupid he's so bad at being a cat sometimes it's like why'd you knock that thing over sorry i get it cats hard. can be cats like to act like they're smart but oh, sometimes God. they're just not i'm like felix you're gonna fall off of that and then he does sorry <laughs> um you could <laughs> wait what was i uh, uh, people in the metal community are super into food because oh. like metal and music is such a niche thing that I find people in the metal community uh, all have their little side projects. They're always sharing their brisket that they smoked or mm -hmm. pizza that they made. So it's, I, I, I would feel like there's a lot for, for what you wouldn't share musical taste, food taste. Yes. Like, okay. All right. Well, that's okay. Great. Um, well, sure. I, my book, my cookbook is called dessert person and it's coming out in October, October 20th. Um, and it's called dessert person, which is really like an attitude and an approach to food. Very similar to what I described earlier with my experience growing up is that it's like about food as pleasure and embracing that, um, and approaching dessert with like no, um, no sense of morality, you know, like dessert. It's not like you're not being sinful if you eat dessert. It's just like food like anything else and it should be enjoyed. Um, and the book is mostly desserts, although it's all baking and there's some savory baking too. So it's just sort of like, it can function, I think, in two ways. It's just like a straight recipe book with recipes of all different difficulty levels. Um, and it's also just kind of like my personal discourse on how I like to think about food. So That'll be out in October and I'm so excited for it. And I haven't even seen a physical copy yet because we had to, the editing process happened in the beginning of COVID. So I'm very excited because I haven't, I, I would like to actually get the book and hold it, which should be soon. So that is. I can say that the uh, pineapple upside down cake <laughs> and the clam pie are delicious. So. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Um, two of my favorite recipes in the book. So not an insignificant amount of work. You pick two like pretty intermediate recipes, but your execution was, was excellent based well, on the book. I, I, I'm not, I'm not shy when it comes to cooking. I, I, love, <laughs> it. I love it just as much, you know, as I love music. Yeah. And I love that you and your wife made it together. Yeah. Yeah. A fun project. Yeah. So 
It brought us closer together. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part of, or one of, one of the many great parts of cooking. It's like you can share it with someone. Well, I so. can't ma- wait to make it again and feed it to my baby. <laughs> oh, good. Claire, thanks for uh, coming on to the Aqualand podcast. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again sometime when all this shit is over. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, can't wait to see you in person. What have you guys been eating lately? I know it's been tough with the pandemic. You can't really go out anywhere. Um, so actually, I'm, I've been making... So Claire gave me a copy of her book, um, Dessert Person, and I've been making some of the recipes from Dessert Person. Uh, recently, I made focaccia, um, which is the first episode of Dessert Person. And she... Uh, like I got to eat hers, so I really got to see how how like she made it, like standing there watching her make it. And then so I made it, and uh, it's like absolutely delicious. You can't, it just like you can't stop eating it. It's just like a big sort of pizza crust, <laughs> and it's just like warm and like crunchy on the outside and like fluffy on the inside. Uh, I put rosemary and garlic on it, um, and her recipe is just I don't know. She has some like really good tips for it where where I was like having trouble proofing it right. So because I was like trying to like spread all of the dough out to the corners. And then when I watched you do this thing where she just was like, oh, you just need to let it proof for like another 10 minutes. And that's what I ended up doing. I proofed it for another 10 minutes. It spread out to the edges. And then it just like became this amazing, delicious bread. Nice. How, how many gallons of olive oil is in it? Oh, there's probably like eight teaspoons or uh, uh, tablespoons of olive oil in it. It's it's awesome. Oh, that's all? I'm surprised. Yeah. It makes your hands nice and soft. <laughs> Do you guys have like yeast starters from friends for baking bread? No. I, I mean, I never got into that. Yeah. Hillary has a sourdough starter that she got from one of the faculty uh, members at Bennington. And apparently it has been passed down through his family since the 1800s. What? Oh my God. I would, I would like some of that. So is it really good? Have you been baking a lot of bread? We, it kind of sat around for a while and she hasn't, I think she tried making one thing and there was something about the recipe that didn't turn out that had nothing to do with the yeast and it's sitting in a Tupperware container in our refrigerator. Uh, it's, it's, do you feed it a lot? What do you feed it? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it has actually kind of gone dormant. It sounds like they don't like die, die, but like you do have to do some sort of feeding of it. Yeah. But oh, uh, like the thing, like the movie, yeah. the thing. Yeah. Like the mother. <laughs> there's like the mother, basically. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was so fascinating that people have like these starters that, you know, get div- divided off or to become like a, I, I don't remember the terminology for when the mother like spawns <laughs> a child that then becomes a mother. However, that works with, sorry, every food Births? person to butcher. Does it birth it? <laughs> yes. It's like a chest, a chest, uh, burster. Um, Bursts? Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, to find yeah, out. We're, we're going to get the bread people on us now. Yeah, it, <laughs> the people my brother works with will be sending in uh, some comments to set us straight. But yeah, um, otherwise, no, we we haven't really done too much with starters. Do you guys have Jonathan? Do you- uh, I'm not, but June, my wife June is um, really into that stuff, and then. David from HHR was like into it and he like gave us a starter. Oh, nice. Um, that he had for a really long time. Um, yeah, that I think that's a thing that people have been transplanting. You're like, oh, you got a starter? And like, 
Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to to make one or to start one. Like no, you really have to. Like, I, I don't think it's that hard. I I shouldn't speak out of turn because I just kind of just watch. But I don't think mm-hmm. it's that. Yeah, easy science stuff. I mean, you should ask Claire. She she could probably tell. I mean, I should, but I've just never. Well, she has a starter, and it looks awesome. But I just, I've never made a starter, so it kind of still seems like magic or sorcery to me a little bit. What are you guys been eating, Jonathan? We have been eating very poorly, um, <laughs> for the most part. I I just been going to like comfort foods, man. Right near us, there's this place called Pelicana Chicken. It's like Korean, like fried chicken. Right, right. And we've just been like jamming on that, like everybody oh, has. Oh, yeah. I'm sure your kids love that, too. Uh, yeah, they're doing pretty good on that. Um, right now, they're Are just... Are they good eaters? The, they're good eaters. My one daughter will eat oysters. Um, oh. Those videos on Instagram are amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they actually were really good eaters, but now, as they're getting older, they're getting more and more finicky. So um, we're trying to keep that alive, that adventurous eating spirit. But I think it's just a thing. Like kids just get in a moment and they're like, you know what? I want some processed food. I don't want your hippie shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Our daughter, you know, from this time she could eat like baby food. Hillary was making, you know, like avocado and parsnip, like baby food and we'd be talking to my parents and they're like, Oh, what's Iona eating today? And Hillary would tell her and they're like, Hmm, Eric, you were just eating blueberry buckle. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) But yeah, I think like most kids, they start off. If you can get them to be more adventurous when they don't know any different, but you offer pasta or anything else of more value, uh, nutritionally and pasta wins every day. Yeah. Pasta is I mean, like the, the, the easy, yeah. it's the it's, easy thing. It's the easy like, winner. Yeah. So today we were eating uh, lasagna and I had to tell them that it was pasta cake. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm going to tell Thea that. Yeah, because they didn't want to eat lasagna because it looked weird. <laughs> and I was pasta like, oh, cake. this is pasta cake. It's nice. so good. And yeah. they were like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. Thea is a pretty good eater. She she eats like pretty much anything at this point. But she's like one and a half, and I'm waiting for that turn to happen. Yeah, it's usually, yeah. I feel like at three, that's when it starts to, you can't really get them to be as adventurous. That's, yeah. when, they, that's when they just eat one thing or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you... So, do you want to tell us about what's happening with Aqualam uh, this week? Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of stuff. It's 2021. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in the new year. Um, it's a new era. It's new, the storm. New era. Uh, <laughs> there's a winter storm going on. Hopefully, we No, I was saying that. like Q, like the Q non-storm. It's like the... Oh, I don't even know about that. It's like the gathering, or is that Juggalos are the gathering? Juggalos have the gathering. I could yeah, be wrong. Like the this, I think it's the same thing at this point. Who would have ever thought in 2021 where everybody would love Juggalos and hate QAnon? But it's, yeah, it's go crazy. Ahead. It's crazy times, guys. <laughs> who who would have thought we'd be in the position we're in right now? <laughs> but, but please no tell us more aqualam news there's like a couple uh, there, of releases coming up yeah there's a bunch of releases coming up uh we're actually gonna put up that krampus show from uh right after the holidays um for those of you who haven't seen it um there's some really good stuff on there um Covers the gamut of Aqualand bands. Um, some pretty cool Some stuff. COVID covers? Some COVID covers coming out. Um, Friday, February 4th, which is probably after this comes out, there'll be Zebs. Um, we got a couple in the pipeline. Uh, this band we're working with, Rebreather, um, they did a cover of Pets from Jane's Addiction, not Jane's Addiction, uh, 
Porno for Pyros. And Heist. Um, That's really sweet cover. Yeah. Yeah. They actually did an REM cover too. So for oh, a sludge you should, Are band, you going to release both? Yeah, we're going to release both at the same time. Um, that'll be their COVID cover. Um, and since COVID's going to be around a little while... Uh, can keep releasing COVID covers. Yeah, until probably, probably till summer. <laughs> we're doing one. We're half-recorded one, Space Merchants. Yeah, uh, I'm really We've excited. Got half to, of it. I, yeah, don't tell anybody about what it is. I think it's going to be a good I won't one. say. I won't say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, things are going okay for what it is. Yeah, you know. I, I, th- I feel like there's a lot <laughs> it's of... It's not bad. There's a lot of just anxiety pressure that's not there anymore. And you're kind of like, what do I do? Like, yeah, we're kind of in this like... Uh, like, uh, like, is this real? Psych... Like the psych ward uh, section of the pandemic where we're just all sitting at home, like staring at walls, being like, what happened? What will happen? <laughs> like, well, we're all just like you're, waiting you're, for you're the so news. But we can like, crazy get out. administration, like, yeah, per, like watching it and just in d- disbelief. But now that there's, you know. I feel like all the people who listen to like, frog metal were like the lyrics were right about like the future it's like a <laughs> it's like a dystopian hellscape full of like pandemics and people on video calls <laughs> well yeah i think uh i don't remember exactly how the seasons lined up but watching uh handmaid's tale while trump was an office was just like well i guess this is what we're this is what we're gonna end up with it's like i don't like, know god I, damn it it's like i don't know if i can watch this show it's could too- we have gone the brave new world route at least we all get drugs or something there's still time there's still time there's still time <laughs> yeah guys life is long life is long no but the well, pandemic that- is kind of suck because like one of the things like um, it kind of sucked, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of people that sort of disappeared and off themselves, you know. Again, if anybody out there is listening to this, you need to talk, <laughs> call, email any of us. We're there. But, I mean, yeah. one thing that bummed me out was, like, Sam Jane from Love is Laughter disappeared, um, which that That's was all, another. It's terrible. Yeah. It was, it was a terrible yeah, thing. Yeah, and that was, like, another thing for me is, like, as a New Yorker and then being a fan of his music and then later playing with the guy and like kind of getting, not really knowing him, but knowing him enough, like I'd go to Clem's and, you know, chatting with him. Um, I think the last time I actually chatted with him, we were like, I was trying to talking him into letting Aqualam put out a book of his drawings. Um, Mm. And this was, this was like a year and a half ago, like way before the pandemic. I think last time I saw him at Clems. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. I think we're all in this sort of like both trying to sustain our existence while also trying to like uh, sort of process all of the trauma that we have been through. Um, And it's, it's weird going through that collectively with everybody on the planet, you know, because usually a lot of times trauma is so subjective, but I feel like this is, we're living through this time in history where trauma is just the way things are. And everybody is sort of just like reaching out to each other, um, sort of like crying through help for help through memes or something, you know, it's just, it's just a strange time to live through. And um, I don't know. I'm glad I get to live through it with you guys, at least. Yeah, I mean, man. it would suck to live through it with a bunch of assholes. <laughs> I mean, and hopefully there's less assholes. Hopefully people have uh, don't have permission to be an asshole anymore. So, well, it, I mean, if anything that the pandemic should teach us is that to just like take it easy on people because like we're dealing with some shit, you know, just like. Ease up. Don't yeah, come man, in hot we're, anymore. We're going to get you your t-shirt order, dude. Just wait. <laughs> it's coming. All right? So just 
<laughs> we're being fair here. It's just there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. Things are backed up. The Things are slow. backed up. Your $10 t-shirt will get it to you, bro. Well, somebody maybe hasn't it. done laundry in a minute. Yeah. Really <laughs> needs to wear a t-shirt. I think I'm going to send this guy 10 t-shirts. Do it. Um, he deserves it, man. It's a pandemic, you know? Yeah, Sometimes usually what we do, we always throw in extra. When I'm, like, doing the packing, I always, and somebody Ooh. complains, I always throw in extra shit. So Awesome. Like, yeah. Um, so hear that? If you're ordering stuff, complain. No, don't complain. Swafford will because, give you extra shit. <laughs> no, because it, it, it really hurts our feelings. <laughs> but don't hurt our feelings. Do it in a very nice way. I always find the best way is to lead with a compliment. Be like, man, I've been really enjoying your bands, but what's bumming out my... <laughs> uh, bumming me out is <laughs> this t-shirt's not here yet. Oh, yeah, uh, dude, you should see. <laughs> I'm not... Even, we can cut this out, but this is... The customer <laughs> well, let's service say- shit of doing a label <laughs> is the worst, dude. It's almost as bad as dealing with whiny bands. We need to just hi- we need to just hire a, a whole uh, phone bank. Hire some kids, man. Hire some. I mean, some that's high what Eric and I keep saying, but we never do. <laughs> like we're like, yeah, we gotta get interns, yeah. and we never do it. Well, and we keep threatening to turn the label into a co-op where every band has to like work off their debt, work a their shift. debt, which I think is yeah. a good. We have a lot of talented people in the band. Just like, hey, dude. Yeah, man, you yeah. work off this 10k. Like, <laughs> I feel like some bands could do that. Yeah, why others. don't why don't you do uh, radio for Zeb? Here's how you do sure. it. Sure, you email just show me how to do it. Directors. I'll do it. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Uh, just want to say, take it easy on each other, and take it easy on all of us, especially. Uh, <laughs> and uh, tune in. Well, we have a couple more episodes coming up. Thank you. Good night. Farewell. Hope this pandemic ends soon. Mwah. <laughs> that Good was a kiss goodbye. Mwah. Good night. In your ear. Podcast Network.